Chapter Five of The House of the Arrow by A. E. W. Mason. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. Betty Harlow answers. But we cannot see even through the widest of windows. Hanno continued. What happened behind them a fortnight ago? In those cases, Mademoiselle, we have to make ourselves the nuisance and ask the questions. Well, I'm ready to answer you," returned Betty quietly. "'Oh, of that, not a doubt,' Hanno cried genially. "'Is it permitted for me to seat myself?' "'Yes.' Betty jumped up, the pallor of her face flushed to pink. "'Oh, I beg your pardon. Of course, Monsieur Hanno.' That little omission in her manners alone showed Jim Frobisher that she was nervous. But for it he would have credited her with a self-command almost unnatural in her years.' it is nothing said hanno with a smile after all we are uh, the gentlest of us disturbing guests he took a chair from the side of the table and drew it up close so that he faced betty but whatever advantage was to be gained from the position he yielded to her for the light from the window fell in all its morning strength upon his face whilst hers was turned to the interior of the room so he said as he sat down mademoiselle i will first give you a plan of our simple procedure as at present i see it the body of madame harlow was exhumed the night before last in the presence of your notary betty moved suddenly with a little shiver of revolt i know he continued quickly these necessities are distressing but we do madame harlow no hurt and we have to think of the living one you miss betty harlow and make sure that no suspicion shall rest upon you no not even amongst your most loyal friends isn't that so well next i put my questions to you here then we wait for the analyst's report then the examining magistrate will no doubt make you his compliments and i hanno will if i am lucky carry back with me to that dull paris a signed portrait of the beautiful miss harlow against my heart and that will be all cried betty clasping her hands together in her gratitude for you mademoiselle yes but for our little boris uh, no hanno grinned with a mischievous anticipation i look forward to half an hour with that broken-kneed one i shall talk to him and i shall not be dignified no not at all i shall take care too that my good friend monsieur frobisher is not present he would take from me all my enjoyment he would look at me all prim like my maiden aunt and he would say to himself shocking oh that comic what a fellow he is not proper no and i shall not be proper but on the other hand i will laugh all the way from dijon to paris Monsieur hanaud had indeed begun to laugh already and betty suddenly joined in with him hers was a clear ringing laugh of enjoyment and jim fancied himself once more in the hall hearing that laughter come pealing through the open door ah that is good exclaimed hanaud you can laugh mademoiselle even at my foolishnesses you must keep monsieur frobisher here in dijon and not let him return to london until he too has learnt that divinest of the arts hanaud hitched his chair a little nearer and the most uncomfortable image sprang at once into jim frobisher's mind just so with light words and little jokes squeezed out to tenuity did doctors hitch up their chairs to the bedsides of patients in a dangerous case 
it took quite a few minutes of hanaud's questions before that image entirely vanished from his thoughts good said hanaud now let us to business and get the facts all clear and ordered yes jim agreed and he too hitched his chair a little closer it was curious he reflected how little he did know of the actual facts of the case now tell me mademoiselle madame harlow died so far as we know quite peacefully in her bed during the night yes replied betty during the night of april the twenty seventh yes she slept alone in her room that night yes monsieur that was her rule yes i understand madame harlow's heart had given her trouble for some time she had been an invalid for three years and there was a trained nurse always in the house yes hanaud nodded now tell me mademoiselle where did this nurse sleep next door to madame no a bedroom had been fitted up for her on the same floor but at the end of the passage and how far away was this bedroom there were two rooms separating it from my aunt's large rooms yes betty explained these rooms are on the ground floor and are what you would call reception rooms but since madame's heart made the stairs dangerous for her some of them were fitted up especially for her use yes i see said hanaud two big reception rooms between eh and the walls of the house are thick it is not difficult to see that it was not built in these days i ask you this mademoiselle would a cry from madame harlow at night when all the house was silent be heard in the nurse's room i am very sure it would not betty returned but there was a bell by madame's bed which rang in the nurse's room she had hardly to lift her arm to press the button ah said hanaud a bell especially fitted up yes and the button within reach of the fingers yes that is all very well if one does not faint mademoiselle but suppose one does then the bell is not very useful was there no room nearer which could have been set aside for the nurse there was one next to my aunt's room monsieur hanaud with a communicating door hanaud was puzzled and sat back in his chair jim frobisher thought the time had come for him to interpose he had been growing more and more restless as the catechism progressed he could not see any reason why betty however readily and easily she answered should be needlessly pestered surely monsieur hanaud he said it would save a great deal of time if we paid a visit to those rooms and saw them for ourselves hanaud swung around like a thing on a swivel admiration beamed in his eyes he gazed at his junior colleague in wonder ah oh, but what an idea he cried enthusiastically what a fine idea how ingenious how difficult to conceive and it is you monsieur frobisher who have thought of it i make you my distinguished compliments then all his enthusiasm declined into lassitude and he sighed a pity hanaud waited intently for jim to ask for an explanation of that sigh but jim simply got red in the face and refused to oblige he had obviously made an asinine suggestion and was being rallied for it in front of the beautiful betty harlow who looked to him for her salvation and on the whole he thought hanaud to be a rather insufferable person as he sat there brightly watching for some second inanity hanaud in the end had to explain 
we should have visited those rooms before now monsieur frobisher but the commissaire of police has sealed them up and without his presence we must not break the seals an almost imperceptible movement was made by betty harlow in the window an almost imperceptible smile flickered for the space of a lightning flash upon her lips and jim saw hanaud stiffen like a watchdog when he hears a sound at night you are amused mademoiselle he asked sharply on the contrary monsieur and the smile reappeared upon her face and was seen to be what it was pure wistfulness i had a hope those great seals with their linen bands across the doors were all now to be removed it is fanciful no doubt but i have a horror of them they seem to me like an interdict upon the house hanaud's manner changed in an instant that i can very well understand mademoiselle he said and i will make it my business to see that those seals are broken indeed there was no great use in affixing them since they were only affixed when the charge was brought and ten days after madame marlowe died he turned to jim but we in france are all tied up in red tape too however the question at which i am driving does not depend upon any aspect of the rooms it is this mademoiselle and he turned back to betty madame harlowe was an invalid with a nurse in constant attendance how is it that the nurse did not sleep in that suitable room with the communicating door why must she be where she could hear no cry no sudden call betty nodded her head here was a question which demanded an answer she leaned forward choosing her words with care yes but for that monsieur you must understand something of madame my aunt and put yourself for a moment in her place she would have it so she was as you say an invalid for three years she had not gone beyond the garden except in a private saloon once a year to monte carlo but she would not admit her malady no she was in her mind strong and a fighter she was going to get well it was always a question of a few weeks with her and a nurse in her uniform always near with the door open as though she were in the last stages of illness that distressed her betty paused and went on again of course when she had some critical attack the nurse was moved i myself gave the order but as soon as the attack subsided the nurse must go madame would not endure it jim understood that speech its very sincerity gave him a glimpse of the dead woman made him appreciate her tough vitality she would not give in she did not want the paraphernalia of malady always about her no she would sleep in her own room and by herself like other women of her age yes jim understood that and believed every word that betty spoke only only she was keeping something back it was that which troubled him what she said was true but there was more to be said there had been hesitation in betty's speech too nice a choice of words and then suddenly a little rush of phrases to cover up the hesitations he looked at hanaud who was sitting without a movement and with his eyes fixed upon betty's face demanding more from her by his very impassivity they were both jim felt sure upon the edge of that little secret which according to hazlitt as to hanaud was always at the back of some wild charges as waberski brought the little shameful family secret which must be buried deep from the world's eyes 
and while jim was pondering upon this explanation of betty's manner he was suddenly startled out of his wits by a passionate cry which broke from her lips why do you look at me like that she cried to hanaud her eyes suddenly ablaze in her white face and her lips shaking her voice rose to a challenge do you disbelieve me monsieur hanaud hanaud raised his hands in protest he leaned back in his chair the vigilance of his eye of his whole attitude was relaxed i beg your pardon mademoiselle he said with a good deal of self-reproach i do not disbelieve you i was listening with both my ears to what you said so that i might never again have to trouble you with my questions but i should have remembered what i forgot that for a number of days you have been living under a heavy strain my manner was at fault the small tornado of passion passed betty sank back in the corner of the window-seat her head resting against the side of the sash and her face a little upturned you are really very considerate monsieur hanaud she returned it is i who should beg your pardon for i was behaving like a hysterical schoolgirl will you go on with your questions yes hanaud replied gently it is better that we finish with them now let us come back to the night of the twenty-seventh yes monsieur madame was in her usual health that night neither better nor worse if anything a little better returned betty so that you did not hesitate to go on that evening to a dance given by some friends of yours jim started so betty was actually out of the house on that fatal night here was a new point in her favour a dance he cried and hanaud lifted his hand if you please monsieur frobisher he said let mademoiselle speak i did not hesitate betty explained the life of the household had to go on normally it would never have done for me to do unusual things madame was quick to notice i think that although she would not admit that she was dangerously ill at the bottom of her mind she suspected that she was and one had to be careful not to alarm her by such acts for instance as staying away from a dance to which she knew that you had uh, meant to go said hanaud yes mademoiselle i quite understand that he cocked his head at jim frobisher and added with a smile ah you did not know that monsieur frobisher no nor our friend boris wabelski i think or he would hardly have rushed to the prefect of police in such a hurry yes mademoiselle was dancing with her friends on this night when she was supposed to be committing the most monstrous of crimes by the way mademoiselle where was boris wabirsky on the night of the twenty-seventh he was away returned betty he went away on the twenty-seventh to fish for trout at a village on the river Ouch, and he did not come back until the morning of the twenty-eighth exactly said hanaud what a type that fellow let us hope he had a better landing net for his trout than the one he prepared so hastily for mademoiselle harlow otherwise his three days sport cannot have amounted to much his laugh and his words called up a faint smile upon betty's face and then he swept back to his questions so you went to a dance mademoiselle where at the house of monsieur de Pouillac, on the boulevard Thiers. and at what hour did you go i left this house at five minutes to nine you are sure of the hour quite said betty did you see madame harlow before you went yes betty answered i went to her room just before i left she took her dinner in bed as she often did 
i was wearing for the dance a new frock which i had bought this winter at monte carlo and i went to her room to show her how i looked in it was madame alone no the nurse was with her and upon that hanaud smiled with a great appearance of cunning i knew that mademoiselle he declared with a friendly grin see i set a little trap for you for i have here the evidence of the nurse herself jean Bautin. he took out from his pocket a sheet of paper upon which a paragraph was typed yes the examining magistrate sent for her and took her statement i didn't know that said betty jean left us the day of the funeral and went home i have not seen her since she nodded at hanaud once or twice with a little smile of appreciation i would not like to be a person with a secret to hide from you monsieur hanaud she said admiringly i do not think that i should be able to hide it for long hanaud expanded under the flattery like a novice and to jim frobisher's thinking rather like a very vulgar novice you are wise mademoiselle he exclaimed for after all i am hanaud there is only one and he thumped his chest and beamed delightedly heavens these are politenesses let us get on this is what the nurse declared and he read aloud from his sheet of paper mademoiselle came to the bedroom so that madame might admire her in her new frock of silver tissue and her silver slippers mademoiselle arranged the pillows and saw that madame had her favourite books and her drink beside the bed then she wished her good-night and with her pretty frock rustling and gleaming she tripped out of the room as soon as the door was closed madame said to me and hanaud broke off abruptly but that does not matter he said in a hurry suddenly and sharply betty leaned forward does it not monsieur she asked her eyes fixed upon his face and the blood mounting slowly into her pale cheeks no said hanaud and he began to fold the sheet of paper what does the nurse report that madame said to her about me as soon as the door was closed betty asked measuring out her words with a slow insistence come monsieur i have a right to know and she held out her hand for the paper you shall judge for yourself that it was of no importance said hanaud listen and once more he read madame said to me looking at her clock it is well that mademoiselle has gone early for dijon is not paris and unless you go in time there are no partners for you to dance with it was then ten minutes to nine with a smile hanaud gave the paper into betty's hand and she bent her head over it swiftly as though she doubted whether what he had recited was really written on that sheet as if she rather trembled to think what mrs harlow had said of her after she had gone from the room she took only a second or two to glance over the page but when she handed it back to him her manner was quite changed thank you she said with a note of bitterness and her deep eyes gleamed with resentment jim understood the change and sympathized with it hanaud had spoken of setting a trap when he had set none for there was no conceivable reason why she should hesitate to admit that she had seen mrs harlow in the presence of the nurse and wished her good-night before she went to the party but he had set a real trap a minute afterwards and into that betty had straightway stumbled he had tricked her into admitting a dread that mrs harlow might have spoken of her in disparagement or even in horror after she had left the bedroom you must know monsieur hanaud 
she explained very coldly that women are not always very generous to one another and sometimes have not the imagination uh, how shall i put it to visualize the possible consequences of things they may say with merely the intention to hurt and do a little harm jean baudin and i were so far as i ever knew good friends but one is never sure and when you folded up her statement in a hurry i was naturally very anxious to hear the rest of it yes i agree jim intervened it did look as if the nurse might have added something malevolent which could neither be proved nor disproved it was a misunderstanding mademoiselle hanaud replied in a voice of apology we will take care that there shall not be any other he looked over the nurse's statement again it is said here that you saw that madame had her favourite books and her drink beside the bed that is true yes monsieur what was that drink a glass of lemonade it was placed on a table i suppose ready for her every night every night and there was no narcotic dissolved in it none betty replied if mrs harlow was restless the nurse would give an opium pill and very occasionally a slight injection of morphia but that was not done on this night not to my knowledge if it was done it was done after my departure very well said hanaud and he folded the paper and put it away in his pocket that is finished with we have you now out of the house at five minutes to nine in the evening and madame in her bed with her health no worse than usual yes good hanaud changed his attitude now let us go over your evening mademoiselle i take it that you stayed at the house of monsieur de pouillac until you returned home yes you remember with whom you danced if it was necessary could you give me a list of your partners she rose and crossing to the writing-table sat down in front of it she drew a sheet of paper towards her and took up a pencil pausing now and again to jog her memory with the blunt end of the pencil at her lips she wrote down a list of names these are all i think she said handing the list to hanaud he put it in his pocket thank you he was all contentment now although his questions followed without hesitation one upon the other it seemed to jim that he was receiving just the answers which he expected he had the air of a man engaged upon an inevitable formality and anxious to get it completely accomplished rather than of one pressing keenly a strict investigation now mademoiselle at what hour did you arrive home at twenty minutes past one you are sure of that exact time you looked at your watch or at the clock in the hall or what how are you sure that you reached the maison Gamelle exactly at twenty minutes past one hanaud hitched his chair a little more forward but he had not to wait a second for the answer there is no clock in the hall and i had no watch with me betty replied i don't like those wrist watches which some girls wear i hate things around my wrists and she shook her arms impatiently as though she imagined the constriction of a bracelet and i did not put my watch in my handbag because i am so liable to leave that behind so i had nothing to tell me the time when i reached home i was not sure that i had not kept georges the chauffeur out a little later than he cared for so i made him my excuse explaining that i didn't really know how late it was 
i see it was georges who told you the time at the actual moment of your arrival yes and georges is uh, no doubt the chauffeur whom i saw at work as i crossed the courtyard yes he told me that he was glad to see me have a little gaiety and he took out his watch and showed it to me with a laugh this happened at the front door or at those big iron gates mademoiselle hanaud asked at the front door there is no lodge-keeper and the gates are left open when any one is out and how did you get into the house i used my latch-key good all oh, this is very clear betty however was not mollified by hanaud's satisfaction with her replies although she answered him without delay her answers were given mutinously jim began to be a little troubled she should have met hanaud halfway she was imprudently petulant she'll make an enemy of this man before she has done he reflected uneasily but he glanced at the detective and was relieved for hanaud was watching her with a smile which would have disarmed any less offended young lady a smile half friendliness and half amusement jim took a turn upon himself after all he argued this very imprudence pleads for her better than any calculation the guilty don't behave like that and he waited for the next stage in the examination with an easy mind now we have got you back home and within the maison granelle before half-past one in the morning resumed hanaud what did you do then i went straight upstairs to my bedroom said betty was your maid waiting up for you mademoiselle no i had told her that i should be late and that i could undress myself you are considerate mademoiselle no wonder that your servants were pleased that you should have a little gaiety even that advance did not appease the offended girl yes she asked with a sort of silky sweetness which was more hostile than the acid rejoinder but it did not stir hanaud to any resentment when then did you first hear of madame harlow's death he asked the next morning my maid francine came running into my room at seven o'clock the nurse jean had just discovered it i slipped on my dressing-gown and ran downstairs as soon as i saw that it was true i rang up the two doctors who were in the habit of attending here did you notice the glass of lemonade yes it was empty your maid is still with you yes francine royard she is at your disposal hanaud shrugged his shoulders and smiled doubtfully that if it is necessary at all can come later we have the story of your movements now from you mademoiselle and that is what is important he rose from his chair i have been i am afraid a very troublesome person mademoiselle Arlo he said with a bow but it is very necessary for your own sake that no obscurities should be left for the world's suspicions to play with and we are very close to the end of this ordeal jim had nursed a hope the moment hanaud rose that this wearing interview had already ended betty for her part was indifferent that is for you to say monsieur she said implacably just two points then and i think upon reflection you will understand that i have asked you no question which is unfair betty bowed your two points monsieur first then you inherit i believe the whole fortune of madame yes did you expect to inherit it all did you know of her will no i expected that a good deal of the money would be left to monsieur boris but i don't remember that she ever told me so 
i expected it because Monsieur boris so continually repeated that it was so no doubt said hanaud lightly as to yourself was madame generous to you during her life the hard look disappeared from betty's face it softened to sorrow and regret very she answered in a low voice i had one thousand pounds a year as a regular allowance and a thousand pounds goes a long way in dijon besides if i wanted more i had only to ask for it betty's voice broke in a sob suddenly and hanaud turned away with a delicacy for which jim was not prepared he began to look at the book upon the shelves that she might have time to control her sorrow taking down one here one there and speaking of them in a casual tone it is easy to see that this was the library of monsieur simon harlow he said and was suddenly brought to a stop for the door was thrown open and a girl broke into the room betty she began and stood staring from one to another of betty's visitors anne this is monsieur hanaud said betty with a careless wave of her hand and anne went white as a sheet anne then this girl was anne upcott thought jim frobisher the girl who had written to him the girl all acquaintanceship with whom he had twice denied and he had sat side by side with her he had even spoken to her she swept across the room to him so you have come she cried but i knew that you would jim was conscious of a mist of shining yellow hair a pair of sapphire eyes and of a face impertinently lovely and most delicate in its colour of course i have come he said feebly and hanaud looked on with a smile he had an eye on betty harlow and the smile said as clearly as words could say that young man is going to have a deal of trouble before he gets out of dijon End of chapter 5